welcome everybody to the final episode of this season of In Their Footsteps. It's been such a great pleasure speaking with all of you and learning about your cultures and learning about how we're all connected in some ways and, and some of the differences we have as well. And I'm just very grateful to those of you who took part and for those of you who listened. So thank you. I think um, next season we're going to mix it up a little bit, but I'm going to keep that a secret. So you have to tune in next season and find out how I change things up. Um, but our final lovely person is Ms. Pia Tung. And she is both Swedish and Chinese. So let's all say hey and ni hao to Pia Tung. Welcome, Pia, to the podcast. Thank you. It is lovely to have you here. Um, would you like to tell us a little something about yourself before we get started? I mean, sure. I'm an only child. My mom is from Sweden. My dad was from China. I grew up in New York City. I lived here my entire life except for when I was in college. Um, I'm a single mom with two kids who are 20 and 15, and I still live here, and I'll probably live here forever. <laughs> Even though I love to travel, like this is the place that's definitely home. Uh, so that being the case, what is the most rewarding thing about being a first-generation kid? So that's an interesting question. I think probably the most rewarding thing is just having ties to different places and having roots kind of in different places. Um, and I think also even just growing up because we traveled to Sweden a lot when I was growing up. I spent every summer in Sweden with my mom because she was a stay-at-home mom after I was born. And uh, so... Yeah, I mean, I was always in Sweden for the entire summer, so I grew up with Sweden as a second language, and it felt like a second home, and I loved being there every summer. Um, I didn't have the same connection to China because I've been there once, and, you know, my dad, I mean, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, and my dad left China when he was, I think, I think 17 around 17 he was one of five children and he was the second oldest and his and they were they had all planned to come to America at some point to study or whatever and his older brother was already I think married with kids so they sent him first and his mom took him to a boat to come over here and he never saw her again because then the cultural revolution happened so he came here and went to Missouri and went to the University of Missouri and started a life in the United States when he was very young. Um, yeah, and then was not able to go back to China until 1977 when I was 10 years old and the Cultural Revolution was over and he wow. waited like 31 years and we finally got a visa and went. So um, I think obviously I don't have the same connection there because I've only been there once and I've met those family members when they've come to visit and I now have one, uh, two cousins actually living in California, but I had a much stronger connection to Sweden just because I spent, you know, many months of every year there and it was much easier to go back and forth. But anyway, I think then the most rewarding thing is probably really just having exposure to so much which I did not appreciate 
as a young child. And I don't know if that was growing up when I did, if I had been born later when it was more cool in a way, because, and I don't know if you feel this way, but when I was in elementary school, I remember my mother taking me to school and we spoke Swedish together because I spent so much time there and I grew up speaking Swedish. I mean, both my parents were completely fluent in English because they spoke English to each other and they had both studied in the United States. And so there wasn't, they really didn't have much of an accent at all. But, you know, my mom and I would speak Swedish together and she would drop me off at school and say goodbye to me in Swedish. And I was so embarrassed in front of the other kids, you know, and that was in the 70s. And I desperately I my mother named me Pia was her nickname when she was little, even though it's not at all close to her name. I don't know where it came from. Her like best friend and her best friend's mother just gave her that nickname. But, you know, when I was growing up, like I wanted to have a really basic like American name and fit in with everyone else. And I didn't want people to know that my parents spoke a different language or were from different places because I think, you know, I think it's different today. I think kids, I, I learned over time to, to embrace my heritage and be proud of it. And when? When did you embrace it? Oh, God. I mean, it was, it was later. I mean, I was definitely much older, like. I mean, you know, like a teenager, late teenager into my 20s, I think. But as a young child, you, you don't want to stand out. You don't want to be different um, because it's embarrassing. So, but then I think as you get older, you know, as I got older, I learned to really appreciate what I had and the traveling I had done because yeah. of where they came from. Absolutely, absolutely. I've seen you more than once at the Scandinavia house, so I know, I know you embrace, <laughs> I know you embrace it now. Um, so kind of on that tangent, um, so when I was a little kid, a lot of times we'd have to bring <clears throat> food for Christmas parties mm -hmm. or other kinds of things that you, you were supposed to, to bring to school to share with your, uh, with your class. And I recall being rather mortified by some of the Finnish things that I had to bring. So I'm wondering if you had a similar experience and what would the weirdest food be that you ever had to share? Or if you didn't have to do this, you're a lucky one. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't have to do that. And I'm trying to think, I mean, I really, I don't think, you know, I feel like Swedish food and I mean, Chinese food was a little more, you know, exotic in those days. Swedish food was a lot of like, bland meat and potatoes and stuff like that so but I, I really never had to bring anything in that my friends didn't like or anything like that although I mean the only when I I mean this isn't even something so out there but my mother used to make I don't know if they ha I'm sure they have them in Finland semlo around uh Lent and it, it's a like a bun kind of like a brioche bun and you scoop out the inside of it and put like a marzipan blend inside and then whipped cream on top and then you put the top of yes. the bun and sprinkle powdered sugar and my mother made them every year around Lent and I didn't like marzipan at the time so I would just take the tops off and like lick <laughs> the whipped cream and eat that um but I can't think I really can't think of anything that was kind of really weird right <laughs> 
that's very so it doesn't sound like you had to you were not forced to eat too much fish of any, any no sort. oh gosh i mean there is something called in swedish called sulströmming and i don't know you know you're familiar i am familiar so and it's this god awful <laughs> fish and sul means sour and i don't i mean i my mother loved it and they would have sulströmming parties in sweden and they would always have to eat it in somebody's garage with the garage door open. And I remember her eating because the smell was so bad. Like it was nauseatingly bad. Um, and so I remember she had a friend in Sweden who they lived on a farm and like they would have the party there, you know, and I happened to walk by the open, the open barn where they were doing it or the open garage or something. And the smell was really, you know, I mean, it's just an awful, awful smell. I never tasted it. I had no desire, but I, I think, and I want to say, I don't know where, I don't know if it, I can't remember if it was our apartment or someone else's when I was young, my mom and her friends decided to try it in the city to have one of these parties in the city. And I mean, you know, in an apartment in New York Picturing with the, the windows neighbors banging right? on the door. But that's probably how it went. I don't really remember, but um but that was pretty nasty, but I never tried it. I just remember that smell, which was so awful. Hard to forget. Yeah. Um, tell us a funny or wise expression that your parents use that just doesn't translate well into English. My dad came here as a college student and what and you know, became an American citizen and was so, and went to college and then went to journalism school at Columbia. That's how he ended up in New York. So he was so kind, like he, he didn't have, and neither did my mom have that kind of leftover heavy accent. And there wasn't a lot of where they would say something and not sure, not be sure how to say it in English or how to translate it. Like I can't think of anything like that. I mean, I, I feel like the biggest, the biggest thing was that my mom, you know, mixed up her J's and her Y's. Like the color yellow was Jello. Because I, I like part of me wants to say like they were very Americanized, but I mean they still were, you know, held on to their like their culture and where they were from. But it's not like they didn't speak the language a hundred percent fluently. So, uh, how much do you identify with both of your parents' countries? You've said that China, not so much. Yeah, but... I think, I mean, that's, I think definitely I've always identified with the Swedish side more. And I really think that is simply because I spent so much time there and I spoke the language, you know? So, I'm an only child. I had no siblings here, no family here. So, when I saw my family, it was the cousins that I saw every summer when we went to Sweden. So I was just much closer to that side. Um, and the one time I met, went to China, I met, you know, everybody, but I was 10 and it was a little overwhelming. And when we went, we were being, my blonde mom and I were being like followed down the street because they had never seen foreigners before in 1977 when the country just opened up. So it was a little, that was a big culture shock. Um, eventually, my uncles and my aunt and cousins would come to visit from China. I still was not as close with them because I didn't spend as much time with them. I mean, they all spoke English. I didn't have to, I did take Chinese lessons as a child like once a week and 
it was really hard. It's a really hard language to learn if you're not immersed in it. And Swedish was just my second language because my mom spoke, was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was working, so my mom spoke Swedish to me at home, so I just absorbed it. And in those days, the pediatrician told her not to do it because they thought, you know, that kids would get confused, right? Now things are different, and you know that's not the case, exactly that they right. can completely tell the difference. Um, so I think in that sense, I've just, and also, you know, just Sweden being a Western country, you know, it was just kind of easier. The one time I was in China in 1977, it was such a culture shock and I had a lot of trouble. But as I've gotten older, I've really started to embrace that side more. I've also become much closer to a cousin of mine who's in California. Um, because he was close with my parents because he was here. He's married and has a son who is my oldest daughter's age. And then, um, you know, now, like, both my parents have passed away. And his dad passed away years before my dad did. But his mother and my dad passed away within a few weeks of each other. So we've kind of become closer because we had to. Yeah. You know, there were certain things which is nice and I think also there's a part of you know you don't want to lose when I when I had kids like you don't want to lose any part of your heritage and when you start realizing that you want to teach them things it brings out more in you you know I mean we always celebrated Chinese New Year with my dad we would have you know my parents we would have dinner or whatever and then when I had kids like starting to kind of bring those traditions in, you know? And then I think also in the past couple of years with the whole COVID thing and, you know, the Asian racism like really coming out so much, it's really made me feel much more, um, what's the word? Protective, Protective of yeah. it, yeah. And just kind of wanting to hold on to it more. And I think I've also learned, you know, as an adult, you learn to kind of be proud of where you came from instead of be embarrassed that your parents spoke a different language or, you know, pronounced your friend's name wrong or something like that, you know? It's such a great feeling when you get to that point. Yes. I can't even pinpoint when it happened for mm -hmm. me that I was suddenly like, yes, I am proud. I have too many A's in my name, but it's just enough for me. Right. You know? Right. And I... I I think a little bit like the next generation has an easier mm -hmm. time with it yep. because we're teaching them that. Yeah. Yep. We're teaching them to be proud of who they are. Yeah, you yes. know? So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think you've touched about, upon this a little bit, but uh, what would you do differently if you raised a child in a different country? I think that's a really difficult question to answer because I think it depends on the country. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, do you mean like me as who I am now if I went to live there or if I was just kind of... If you if you oh, moved to a different country oh, and, you, okay. and you had a child there, mm -hmm. how, how would you do it differently than, than your parents did? Or would you do it the same, you know? I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. I think, you know, in Sweden, it would be a lot easier <laughs> because you're just taken care of better mm. as a fam, like in, you know, having a family there. Um, just 
the amount of time you have. I just it's just celebrated more, and it's it's not. You know, I think the one thing about this country is like how difficult it is sometimes as a woman to kind of you you have to almost overcome having kids like you can't let that be a distraction because you're not allowed to you have to prove that it's not going to affect you at all and you can do the same thing that men men do and it's you know it's still going on now whereas like in a you know in in the Scandinavian countries it's just different like you know the daycare is taken care of and you know you you don't have to go into debt giving birth to a child you know does sweden have the uh, in finland we have um, a baby box that you get from the government um when you have a child the government sends you this big wonderful box and it's filled with um, baby clothes uh, bottles so um, and also some condoms because they're like okay now slow down a little bit <laughs> and then the box itself is big enough that if you don't have the money for a crib it can double as oh, a crib no way you know what i don't think so i've never heard that and a lot of there's a lot of new babies in our family now and I, i've never heard that but i did the last time i was there was in 2018 unfortunately um and my cousin's daughter was pregnant at the time and we were just talking about how you know, she's like, I don't have to pay to go to the hospital and have a baby. And if you have a child who's disabled, like the government helps you out until that child is 12. And, you know, daycare is free and you're kind of, you know, you're encouraged. It's much more family friendly. And yeah. even even just getting on the buses, you can just, I mean, the, the doors in the back are low and you just wheel the stroller onto the back. And I remember seeing a family who had it when we were in Sweden, we would fly into Copenhagen and take the train into Malmö, the south of Sweden. And there was a family with a daughter in a wheelchair who had just been in America on, you know, on holiday. And they were like, it is so difficult in America. There's stairs and just taking public transportation. And, you know, whether it's a stroller or a wheelchair, it's just so, I mean, getting back to what you asked, I think raising children in Sweden would probably be much easier than it is here. Yeah. China is probably the opposite, but I don't know. I wasn't like around when my, you know, I've seen my cousins raise their kids in Sweden. I didn't see any of, I know that my cousin in China, like my, my dad, my dad was born in 1922 to a very, wealthy family that had servants and I didn't even realize until I interviewed him for when I was in college for a sociology of the family class that his younger brother one of their servants had tried to kidnap his younger brother and he was kind of pulling on one arm and the servant was pulling on the other arm and you know so I mean it was and and their family lost everything you know, during the Cultural Revolution. And um, my cousin, who is now in California, who I'm fairly close to, you know, he grew up and his parents had to go to work. Um, and he would be alone for long periods of time. Um, so I, I don't, but I mean, that was also my generation. I don't know what it would be like raising kids now. I still think it's obviously more difficult it's a more difficult place to be mm -hmm. but i think you know scandinavia is very 
I don't know. I think it would be, I would love to raise kids in Scandinavia. I think that would be a great place to raise kids. No doubt. Yeah. Um, tell us about a time that you rescued your parents from an American style faux pas. Like, was there ever, it seems like they were pretty yeah. acclimated. So you probably Yeah, they never were had pretty acclimated. That. And I really can't recall. I mean, I know there were definitely times I was mortified and embarrassed by them. But I don't know <laughs> if that was because they were my parents or because I'm trying to think if there was anything. I can't really think of anything like that. I mean, just a funny thing is that, you know, my mom and I would go to Sweden together in the summers. And I mean, there have been times when she's forgotten where she was and spoken the wrong language. Like yeah. we were in Sweden and, you know, like when we were here, if somebody walked by and we wanted to say something, you know, we would say it in Swedish and when we were in Sweden, like somebody walked by and she wanted to say something to me about them. And she accidentally said it in Swedish instead of switching right. languages. So like that was kind of, you know, that's happened. But That's pretty good. Um, so what was your proudest moment as a first generation kid? Hmm. That's also tough because I think it's not like my parents didn't go you know it's not like i was the first one to go to college or i was the first one to do this or that so i i don't really know how to answer that i don't yeah i have so to think now, about, what about that the follow-up one did you have a moment when your parents were proud of you do you have a particular memory of your parents being proud of you i mean yes i have a memory of them being proud of me you know when i graduated and things like that and then when i became a parent but i don't think that was so much me as a first generation American as them being proud of me just for being my parents, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Cause I, they did a lot of the same things I did. You know, they traveled, they went to school, they worked. My mother actually on her way to the US when she left Sweden, she lived in Israel for two years and was an au pair and then came to the United States and worked cause she had worked in a hospital in Sweden as like a lab technician and she came to New York and got a job at Lenox Hill Hospital as a lab technician. Um, and then my dad had gone to college in Missouri and then came to New York to go to journalism school at Columbia. So like they had done those things also. Um, they had actually met because they were they both belonged to an international students group where there would be parties you know, in the 60s, there were parties. And so all of their friends and she, my mom was with a French girlfriend of hers and my dad was with this Italian guy and the two of them ended up getting married. <laughs> They're since divorced. But so this group, I mean, everyone was from everywhere all over the world and they all kind of intermarried, which was cool because when I was young, they would have like an annual reunion and then I would hang out with all of their kids. Um, so that was kind of cool. I don't think, again, that I appreciated at the time until later that there were so many mixed marriages within that group. Um, and in those days, you know, the 60s and 70s, there probably wasn't, but but that was just how I grew up. And, and all of us kids in that group were all mixed. Um, and then, you know, eventually as they got older and people started passing away and then like I kind of didn't, 
I was friendly with the kids when we were kids. It's not like we had our own relationships, you know? Um, but I don't know. So, so I feel like a lot of what they did was what I did also, you know, they went to college, they, they had jobs here. They did. It's not like I was like a trailblazer cause they both came from one other place and didn't speak the language and didn't have, you know, that I kind of did things that they never got the opportunity to do. So in that sense, I think it's a little different. Like they did those things. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, what is the most peculiar foreign tradition that you've had to explain? Is there any unusual traditions you've had to explain to a friend or to... No, I mean, I don't think, um, I mean, in, no, it's not peculiar, but in Sweden on December 13th, they do something called uh, St. Lucia. Mm -hmm. It's like the Festival of Lights. And when I was growing up, we would do it in my parents' living room and I would wear kind of like a white dress with the, we, I didn't have the real candles. We had the fake mm -hmm. uh, like crown of candles and then my friends would all be the little, um, I don't know how to say it in English now, that's so, you Say know, it in Swedish. Tell them not, uh, the, the little girls who had the little tinsel in their hair and walk behind. So we had that little thing every year and my American friends would come be in it and that was nice. Um, but just along those lines, like thinking about tradition, this was kind of a story that just popped into my head, which is kind of like an awful story, but it feeds to like racism and ignorance that people have about different cultures and things like that. When I was a kid, um, I don't remember how old I was. I was fairly young, maybe 10-ish. And I remember hearing that a girl who was a little bit older, but from my school, had committed suicide she had like jumped off the roof or something and she was of like I don't know if like the parents were Chinese and she and I remember like you know everyone was talking about it at school and this one girl I mean I don't know what she she was white I don't know what her background was but she's like oh you know we were talking about it like oh that's awful blah, blah, blah. and she said well my mom said that that's what that's like a tradition in China and that's why she did it because and I was young so I don't remember the exact words but like my mom said that that's what they do when they blah 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 you know it was kind of like that's what they do that's not unusual so I went home you know and I remember thinking that sounds weird but I should ask my parents you know and I, I remember my mother's reaction I don't remember talking to my dad about it but I remember mentioning it to my mother and I was like well so-and-so said that, you know, that it's, and I think there was a part of me that was also worried for myself, you know, because the girl was like, well, that's what they do, you know, that's what, and, um, and so I told my mother and she was so angry. I just remember just her being completely furious and kind of like going off on these people, like, how could they say such a thing that is absolutely not true? It's not, and I think, you know, I remember that kind of being one of the first times, and the only reason it, it came to my mind was because this girl had met, my mom said that's like a tradition, like that's what they do. It's because of, you know, it, like it's normal there. And I don't know if that mother was just trying to explain it away without having to talk about suicide, you know, um, or where this came from, but I think, um, it was just 
looking back on it and I don't know what like this story has stayed I remember where I was walking by Gramercy Park when I was telling my mother about it like I just remember where I was and and how she reacted so that's how much this stayed with me you know and then I got older and you think about how ignorant it is and how racist it is and how awful it was to kind of give that explanation to this small kid who brought it with her to school and you know but i mean again ignorance yeah so but i don't know why that stayed with me but i well, just remember her using the word like tradition that type of thing and i was like and my mother was just furious uh if you could have been born to american parents would you choose it hmm no i mean no of course not i wouldn't go back i don't even know I mean, they wouldn't be my parents. You know, there are so many things that I got from, obviously when I was in elementary school and I was embarrassed by the, you know, my mother speaking Swedish to me, I wished more than anything that they were American so that I could be just like everybody else. But who wants to be just like everybody else anymore? And I think we're not all the same, especially in New York City. And that's the beauty of it. And you know, you talked about the food before, to be able to bring different foods or expand your palate or, you know, especially like in New York City, you know, when you get together with your friends, like, what should we eat? You know, should we go for Italian? Should we go for sushi? Should we go for Thai food? Like, it's so wonderful that we all have that now, kind of here. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I obviously wouldn't be who I was if I was born to American parents, although, you know, American, I mean, everybody came from somewhere. Right. It's such a young, it's such a young country, but I think everyone has something that they bring with them, right? Yeah. And then I think also, I mean, as you know, I mean, my youngest daughter is Ethiopian. And so much more so when she was younger than now because i think we spent a lot more time with other ethiopian kids and ethiopian families but there's more you know it we're, we brought in another culture into our world and another you know that's a different new year like <laughs> we have american new year and chinese new or western new year and chinese new year and ethiopian new year and um I like that. Bring on all the celebrations. I know, right? <laughs> all the different foods and all the different... Um, but no, I don't think... I think... I appreciate that I can look in my passport and see how many times it's been stamped. And I appreciate that my kids have seen places. I mean, they haven't been to China yet, but, you know, they've been to Sweden. Um, obviously, we've all been to... to Ethiopia but I think that I'm so fortunate to be able to do that you know and I've had friends say to, to me I now haven't been to Sweden in a few years because of COVID but um, you know when I was growing up and I would go every summer or I would go visit my friends would say oh you know you're so lucky like I'm going to visit my family like in New Jersey or in Connecticut or, <laughs> right. or 20 blocks away and like you get to go there and visit your family, you know? Yeah. Which is lovely and it's lovely when they come here too and um, it's just nice to 
to embrace all of those things. And when I was growing up, when my grandparents were alive, my, I don't even know how it happened. My Swedish grandfather, who barely spoke English, like he could put together a couple of words, somehow became pen pals with one of the relatives in China, like, I don't know which one it was. I don't know how my parents kind of, they started to write to each other. And it was just such a cool thing, you know? I think because their families were connected and they knew they weren't going to meet each other, but they wrote to each other, you know? And that was before email. So, like, they actually wrote letters to each other in English. Um, and I think... My parents were very lucky in that their families accepted both of them um, and embraced their marriage. So, because, you know, it could have been different. Yeah. Um, but I also appreciate that I kind of grew up here in New York City and because my parents came from opposite ends of the earth, they could never criticize anybody I brought home. <laughs> like, you know, there was no, you know, there was no racism in the household. Everyone was, you know, because of their relationship. And I think I really wasn't, when I was really, really young, I don't think I was really even aware that they were from such different places. Yeah. But also, I think, again, that's because, I mean, they spoke English to each other. That was their common language. So when I was growing up, they were speaking English. It's not like they were speaking right. a foreign language in the home, and then outside of the home, we spoke something different, like we spoke English at home. Um, so I didn't really think about, you know, I think about it being that different or them being that different until you know until my mom walked me to school and spoke swedish and embarrassed me <laughs> um is there anything you'd like to add that perhaps i missed is there any element of being first generation that you would like to comment on that i that i missed i mean you know i think the one thing and i don't know if this is i don't i mean this could this this could be just uh you know personal to me because i'm an only child and I think the one thing that was really difficult to me, for me my entire life and still is, is like the loneliness of not having anyone around to, you know, when my parents got older and then when they got sick and then when they passed away, there was no one else there. There was no other family there. Um, it was just me. And I think that's why I so badly wanted to have more than one child because I wanted them to have somebody the way that I didn't. And I mean, yes, I'm close with my cousins because they're my cousins, but we only see each other every few years. You know, it's not like, I mean, now with social media and Instagram, things like that, thank goodness we're kind of up on each other's lives. But, you know, we speak once a year for Christmas or something like that. It's not like, and I mean, they would come in a second if I asked them to, um, but it's not the same as having somebody there for all the little things when you need somebody. And I mean, you know, I know, I mean, I have plenty of friends who have siblings 
who they're not close to and they can't stand. So they're like, it's not so great, you know? But I think when you have to deal with family matters, there are certain things only other family members can do, you know? And I think I discovered that when my parents were sick or when they did die, you know, like, yes, your friends are around and they're there for you, but they don't get a week off from work to help you. And they can't help with all the paperwork because it has to be, you know what I mean? Like, so I think those things and that for me, my entire life, I feel like has always been something just like the loneliness of not having other, other family here. And I mean, we were talking before we started this about another friend of ours and you were saying the weddings they go to all the time. I mean, they happen to have a tremendous amount of family here. Um, everyone came here, so they're all here. Like that's not, that's not always the case. Yeah. I mean, there is no one else here. It's me and it was my parents. And I think I have a love-hate relationship with the holidays because of that. I mean, Thanksgiving for someone who was not raised by American parents was another day at the dinner table where we would sit kind of, we used to eat the kitchen table, but on Thanksgiving we moved it and my mom put a tablecloth on the you know, living room <laughs> yeah. table. Having said that, they also had, we had friends who were like us, like the, my parents' friends were from different countries and they had, and we would often spend Thanksgiving or Christmas with them. So they became our family for the holidays. Um, but it is, you know, it is weird not to have anybody there when someone gets sick or someone dies or somebody, you know, and, you know, it's interesting because I'm like renewing my daughter's passport right now. And I have so many American friends whose kids don't even have passports because they've never left the country. And they're like, oh, well, if we go somewhere, we'll get a passport. Whereas I've had a passport since I was born and so have my kids. And even though my daughter's passport doesn't expire for six months, we're renewing it now because since my family is away, right. I don't ever want to not have a passport in case we need to go somewhere at the drop of a hat, you know? Um, so, so, I mean, yes, it's great to have kind of had so much exposure to other countries and to have people all over the world and to speak different languages. But being here alone can be very lonely too. Now, I know that your parents spoke excellent English, but uh, one of the things that I <laughs> feel that many of us first-gen kids do is, is great imitations of our parents. Is there any oh specific gosh, kind of banter that those two had that you remember? You or? know, I mean, this is actually, I wonder if my daughter will kill me for saying this, but um, no, but my, you know, my mother, my dad desperately tried to learn Swedish and it didn't go so well, but you know, he picked up a few words here and there, but their pet name for each other was Elskling. And in <laughs> Swedish, that means love, like, or if you, you know, jag älskar dig is, I love you. So Elskling is like my love. So that's what they called each other. Um, even though his pronunciation of it was very different than hers. Like he would say like huskling, you know, or something like that. It didn't come out the same way. Um, but that was what they called each other. And um, yeah, I, my daughter got a tattoo. 
when she was 18 that says Elskling. Like she didn't know what she wanted to get. Um, I don't know if she's going to kill me for telling this, but whatever. It's, it's a very <laughs> it's small very tattoo and it's hidden. But I think that like in the end, she just wanted to, it to be a tribute to them and how close she was to them. And uh, yeah. That's lovely. That is, that is very lovely. I, I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Well, thank you very, very oh, much thank for being you on the podcast. So much. I enjoyed myself immensely. And thank you for the glug, which, uh, as we know, is, you know, a wonderful it's, Scandinavian it's the treat. Best. This was a great way to spend a December evening. It really evening. was. Thank you so much. Thank you.